0: listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your host, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about realigning resources for mission. We hear a reflection on hell, heaven, and purgatory. And we hear a poem by Luke Hansen, the bloom that I could not conceive for me. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Once again to Resurrection Life Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Richard Budd, and, and with me as always, Father Schneev. How have you been, Father?
1: Doing very well, thanks. It's been a long time since we recorded. It has, indeed. <laughs> uh, we record two at a time, so it's been all <laughs> of about, about 10, ten minutes. minutes. <laughs> but we, we decided we would do two at a time because sometimes we do one at a time and then uh, just and then the a whole schedule. Yeah, exactly. exactly right. <laughs> So uh, today we thought we would talk a little bit... Uh, I thought we would not talk about the weather. We usually, we usually talk about the weather. We have not talked about it yet. Let me just say that when I came back from Scotland, we mentioned that in the last mm-hmm. episode, I said I would never complain about Michigan weather again. Have and you? No. Oh, well, there It's go. been a great summer, too, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. But, but the fact is, uh, it rained every day we were in Scotland, if I recall correctly. and uh, But... If it was raining, it would kind of pull back to clouds, and there was, there was heavy winds. But I didn't realize how much more sunshine hours we have really? than uh, than um, Scott. Those poor people in Scotland. <laughs> they, 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 it's about half of as much as we have. Wow! And they're they're at fifty-five uh, latitude. Oh, well, they're pretty high up. So there. we're at or we're at forty-two. 40, yeah. So yeah. all
0: right. All right. Um, so as many of you know, uh, for the past few years, the diocese has been looking at different ways to, um, kind of restructure and, um, use the, the resources of the diocese in, uh, more productive ways, uh, productive maybe is the wrong word. Um, better, better using of the resources of not only of, uh, material goods, but also the personnel, uh, to further the mission of the gospel to, um, Make sure that the church is, is doing what she's supposed to be doing, and, and ultimately, hopefully, growing, spreading the mission uh, and the and the message of Jesus Christ. Um, and so, there had been presented to all the faithful of the diocese this plan called realigning resources for mission, and a key part of that was going to be this model of governance called uh, insolidum. It was a it's taken from canon law, um, and that had. Been we had been going forward with that, um, and then there was an update that happened this June. So, Father, would you like to kind of yeah, describe so, so that?
1: What uh, the bishop and and uh, just uh, a reminder: I was a part of a team that met for probably two and a half years as a part of that realigning resources. And it was in the midst mission. of COVID, and, and and one of the things that I think it has been misunderstood is the thought that the realigning resources for mission was primarily a result of uh, declining numbers and declining numbers of priests, declining number of parishioners, et cetera, and uh, moving toward this, which might have led to mergers or uh, closures uh, because of the drastic condition we found ourselves in. And though we saw those trends, we were not and are not yet at the place in the diocese where we have to close or merge uh, to be able to cover the, the masses at the various parishes and uh, uh, worship sites. It was really about getting back to the mission, so realigning resources for mission to make sure that every parish and every parishioner has an opportunity to be evangelized, formed, and sent, to be Communities of missionary disciples. So that that was the goal at the start, and this committee that I was a part of, uh, and very, it was, I have to say, the best working committee that I've had uh, experience in either in uh, in the church or it, there. Were, there was just a, a complimentary set of gifts, and uh, we took very seriously the call. And what we ended up doing is coming up with groupings. And we were trying to figure out how do we uh, lead those groupings toward mission and Our first thought frankly was we would we would make them parishes so you 'd have a hmm. pastor who's the leader, and maybe he would have two or three other priests that would work with him. But what that would end up would have done is moving people from their current position as pastor to a parochial vicar, and we didn 't feel like that was either just or would be received by the priests, and yeah. for, for obvious reasons. At least for reasons. very few. <laughs> yeah. Some some did desire. We, we yeah. actually surveyed the priests, and some desired to be able to work with priests uh, that they were on the same yeah. page with, but not have the administrative headaches. So some some priests really are gifted for administration. Some acknowledge that they're not, although all of us are charged with those, those, char- uh, those um, tasks. So... As we wrestled through how could we move forward, and there's a lot of canonical hurdles to merging or closing parishes, so we we came up with uh, this model of insolidum or insolidum. And what that did uh, or what that proposes is where circumstances require a bishop could assign multiple parishes to multiple priests serving in, solid, in solidarity, in collaboration with each other, with a moderator. And our thought on the committee was that, that the moderator would have a, a strong bit of authority to be able to lead. But the more we unpacked that, and on June 21st, we met with the priests of of the first wave of... Implementation, which was proposed to begin January of 23, moving toward July of 23 to really move forward with that new structure. The priests looked at the insolidum and the challenges that would, and the uncertainty and the confusion that might. So, in my group, our group, there's five parishes. So you have five co-pastors. Mm-hmm. Well, the moderator, how much does he need to know about all five parishes? So there's a lot more work on his part, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have the requisite authority to be able to drive things. Mm-hmm. So we realize that this insolidum, because we don't have to do it, has more costs, and individual parishes and pastors feel like they would lose their connection with their individual uh, flocks. Yeah. So. We had a great conversation on the 21st, and there was a subsequent meeting in, in the first part of August with those who weren't able to join us on the 21st, uh, just a candid conversation about mission and about what's working in these groupings, what isn't, what are the challenges, what are the confusions. And so the bishop decided that, that um, we would pull back from saying insolidum is a one-size-fits-all. He still wants to get parishes and groups to collaborate with each other. Um, But we're in the process of um, figuring out a new way. And one of the proposals that was raised on the 21st and that the bishop is taking seriously is something called uh, a dean or a deanery where you'd have parishes that would be under uh, the authority of a priest who was tapped and assigned by the bishop with some authority to help collaborate, uh, have ministry ministries collaborate for particular pastoral purposes. So I think it, in fact, I'm convinced that it is very much what we hoped the insolidum or the realigning resources for mission approach would would accomplish. And it's, I think, a lot clearer on its face canonically what it would entail. And it also allows pastors to retain their position as pastor.
0: So how many parishes would be in a dean
1: or deanery? So, what the bishop has communicated to the priests is that it would be two to three groupings. Okay. So,
0: um, so a grouping would be two to three parishes, and then a right. deanery would be two yeah. to three groupings.
1: And so, the bishop will be talking to the priests uh, later this um, later this fall at convocation. Actually, it will be. In retrospect, now that we're recording this, Mm and it'll be posted after the convocation, or maybe right about the time of the convocation. But the the bishop will share those things, and I'm on a a committee uh, called the the Governance Committee, and we're we're working on ways uh, to move forward. The bishop's commitment, though, is to get us to work together and to move all of us to the extent that the priests are willing to Mm -hmm. on mission, and then to have accountability uh, to the mission and also to each other.
0: Yeah, that's the key, right? Accountability, yeah, yeah. because you can have all the greatest plans in the world, but if you don't have a way of, of kind of checking that. Yeah, yeah.
1: One of the things that uh, one of the other things that that some of us in the diocese had the privilege of doing is going to a conference in, uh, in Texas, um, called the Divine Renovation uh, Conference, and uh, I was talking to Father James Malin, who wrote the book Divine Renovation and uh, uh, Beyond the Parish. Uh, uh, looking at um, diocesan and parish relationships and what he argued, and I think it's right, and you were, hint- you were hinting at this, that what your office, the chancery at the diocese, needs to do in the bishop's office and, frankly, the, um, the deans that the bishop will appoint is figure out low control but high accountability, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. you're going to be accountable for these things. We're not going to tell you how exactly to do it but to say this is where we all need to get to and we're going to scaffold you toward that end but how you do it the innovative ways that you and your staff and the teams across the various groupings uh, and parishes within the groupings uh, decide to collaborate and to figure out how to do that that's let's let a thousand flowers bloom sure and so i've worked or
0: lived in five six different dioceses and there's a very clear difference between those that are very heavy-handed, very bureaucratic, you know, the, the central offices have their hands in everything, and everybody's unhappy. <laughs> That's right. uh, Then there is in the diocese that kind of let the parish be creative and, and use the gifts and the strengths that God gave them. But the problem that often, if not always, that those dioceses have is that there's nobody also keeping those parishes accountable and so, over time, they can kind of just kind of you know be more concerned with the Tuesday Night Bridge Club than the actual mission
1: and yeah, so. and, and I think I think father mallon is is really on point there. He, he talked about his own parish, Saint Benedict's in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and he was just saying, you know the the politics of the place was you had the the bridge club on Tuesday evening, and that was immovable that mm-hmm. was but his point was it's it's about the mission and uh I do think that the challenge will be how to foster moving toward mission uh, and to balance that high accountability, low control. Yeah, uh, And I think a lot of it will be what are the expectations that we have for parishes or parish groupings or for deans, deaneries rather.
0: And part of it is just what what are the expectations that we have of each other, you know, I mean, at this table right now, you kind of represent the parish. I kind of represent the diocese, and a leave lot, us alone well <laughs> that's the thing. A lot of times parishes treat us at the diocese as if we're just kind of you know sticking our nose in where it doesn't belong. We don't want to be we don't want to be seen that way. We want to be seen as as supporting the mission that that you all are doing day in and day out. But we just have a little bit more of a separation from that from that day in day out uh, work well, to be action. able to yeah. to to explore and develop creative new ideas to support, um, and so. But the attitude that can the the bad attitude that can form down at the office down there is, they all think that they know what they're doing. Nobody ever wants to listen. To it, you know, and so we can kind of start to form these attitudes about each other that are unhealthy as well.
1: Well, I, and I think. Uh, I think the bishop and his team have hired well, and uh, including your position. I think the diocese is really trying to be helpful to parishes, and I think it isn't to an event or to a program, but you're not, for the most part, recommending programs, but saying mm-hmm. this is the way we want you to think about these yeah. things because this is the most effective way to help people meet Jesus, grow in their ability to love him and love others in ministry, and then to go out on mission to spread the good news. So I I do think if expectations are there, and I I as a parish, or we as a parish grouping, or as a dean, deanery, uh, are wondering, how do we do this? Then we're going to say, please help us. Mm -hmm. What can you offer to us? Mm -hmm. And maybe it's multiple examples of this or that sort of outreach. To, we have our Resurrection Life course. Others have a Life in the Spirit seminar. Others use Alpha. Our Resurrection Life course is kind of a combination of Alpha model mm-hmm. with Life in the Spirit and some healing thrown in. Sure. So I think it's Kind of the the hybrid yeah. that has worked well for us, and mm-hmm. and we look forward to offering it. Uh, beginning, I think, in October, October twentieth, I think is the first one. Uh, we'll have to have uh, Sean O'Neill on, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in an upcoming episode. But I, I do think that the more parishes, priests, pre- parish staff realize they're going to be held to account, they will want to work together and or work with. Those at the diocese who can coach them, scaffold them, give them resources to meet the goals or, you know and, and, and the, we kind of Christians.
0: sit at the ten thousand foot level a lot of times it's uh it's a matter of oh, you know who you should talk to father so and so from over you know at Saint Hildegard's because they've really kind of developed a process that would work well for you guys um you know just to to put a practical example to it when we were doing the the new marriage preparation. St. Thomas Aquinas and Ethan saying they had a really great way of kind of doing the paperwork. And so, you know, when Charlotte or uh, or um, uh, Tecumseh were asking me, how do we do our paperwork? I said, oh, you should call St. Saint, St. Saint uh, Thomas, uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas because they've, they've got a really good method that they've worked out. Wouldn't necessarily know that as uh, individual parishes, but I, since I have that kind of view, I can kind of help connect and 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 uh, and and draw those resources together as well. So, anyways, I think uh, I think we're heading in the right direction. I think that this is going to be uh, good for um, for the diocese as a
1: whole. I think it'll be good for parishes in particular. Um, I think it's true. I, I was one of those, even though I'd been on the committee, I, I was realizing that that. Um, Losing the title, uh, the office of pastor. I mean, I would still have the office, but I would be co-pastors with four other priests. And where's that connection of a father with uh, his children? There. So I think what we're coming around to, and I invite the people uh, of the parish and anyone mm-hmm. who might be listening to this to pray for wisdom as we go, for docility among the priests, and especially for wisdom for the bishop as he... Uh, nominates and making sure that the, the deans of these new deaneries, which are kind of a remade vicariate structure, the vicariate structure has not really had the kind of pastoral effect. It's been more a convening of priests in a particular geographic area, sure. not with the purpose of ministry, but uh, just to keep apprised of the things that are going on within that geographic area. So pray for wisdom uh, for all of us and pray for docility among all the priests. One of the things we talked about on the 21st is some priests just don't want to do anything. So what do you do? Well, uh, you can't coerce a change of heart mm-hmm. or effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've got to do what we can, but the bishop has made clear to the extent possible we don't want to leave anybody behind. Yeah. So we could cherry pick things and make things happen here, but what happens about uh, St. Uh, in in the... The hinterlands mm-hmm. right we, we care about them too, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I
0: think uh, that that is uh, that was something that I was worried about losing as well as as having a particular pastor um, and somebody that was the father of a community, and so i 'm glad that we 're going to retain that
1: yeah, one of the things that we talked about uh, both as a committee and then in recent discussions with the bishop. And, and a team that he pulled together to talk about this is, is uh, cultures are really important to honor. And, and we, we never thought that we would be able to take four or five or even three or even two parishes and say that they are uh, melding their cultures. There's distinctiveness mm-hmm. about various communities, yeah. and those are, that's a good. That's not something to be squelched or to be merged uh, yeah, eliminated? I, I grew up in
0: a in a place where uh, the the practice was that a pastor had assignment for only six years, and then he might be able to to renew that for another six, and but he would only ever be there for no more than twelve years, and that really affects the culture of a place when you're getting a new head every twelve years at the most. That's right. Um, it really affects the the ability of the of the place to develop its own
1: identity. Well, and and uh, you know that can be um, both a gift and a burden because let's imagine that I'm a priest that doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Then you're only sentenced to me for twelve years. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> then then you get a and yeah. I think what we need to do is going back to the accountability. Mm-hmm. No. It is true that priests work as hard as they want to Mm -hmm. and only as hard as they want to. Mm -hmm. And the point is not to to work as hard as possible. No. But the fact is we're going to be judged with a greater strictness. Mm -hmm. And I think what has happened in some places is the culture has been one of minimalism Mm -hmm. and individualism or it's all imminent. It's about this world only Mm -hmm. and making people feel loved here, not preparing people for heaven. So it's all of that. But we need to get the vertical in there, too, that this is about worshiping well. It's about forming disciples and sharing the good news with the world. Mm -hmm. And hopefully this will be a a spirit-led kind of infusion of both uh, energy to cooperate and also a sense of these are the goals we're trying to obtain.
0: So I'm sure we'll talk about it more as more details come, uh, come out and, and, uh, and are developed, but that's kind of where we're at for now.
1: Yeah, and, and again, just an invitation to everybody to, to pray. Pray for me, for the other members of the Governance uh, Committee, and then uh, obviously the bishop and those he's going to be tapping for the role of dean.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's working on that right now, as far mm-hmm. as I understand. Yep. All right. Okay, so for another week, this is Rich.
1: And Father Steve. God bless. God bless you.
0: Does everyone who dies go to heaven? Does hell exist? And if it does, how can we avoid ending up there? And what is the reason for purgatory? In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we consider each of these three destinations and talk about how our actions in this life determine where we will eventually end up.
2: Heaven and Purgatory. When we come into a relationship with the Lord, we start on a path that is meant to lead eventually to complete union with Him in heaven. How far we get along that path depends on a number of factors, but the chief elements involve our efforts and God's grace. When we come to experience the Lord firsthand, when we realise how much He loves us, and wants what is good for us, we begin to fall in love with him. And it is that love that fuels the rest of our journey. We are not motivated to combat sin in our lives and to seek to lead a virtuous life because of a list of moral rules that we are compelled to follow. We do so out of love for Jesus, our Saviour. If there is fear involved, It is not so much fear of punishment for our sins, but rather fear of offending our beloved. God does not give us the option of indulging in the world, the flesh and the devil, and also maintaining a healthy relationship with him. The reason is that he longs for complete union with us. He desires our company forever with him in heaven, and he knows that a life of sin damages us. So there is no middle way. We either pursue the spiritual life with fervour or we give ourselves over to a life of sin. To try to do both is self-destruction. As it says in Revelation chapter 3, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. St. Paul in Romans chapter 12 gives this advice. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There is a certain urgency to seeking heaven. None of us knows how long we have in this world. None of us knows whether we will have time at the end of our lives for our deathbed repentance it would be folly to decide to aim for purgatory as our goal. If we aim for that target and miss, there is only one alternative and it's a hell of a destination. Much better to aim for heaven because if we strive for virtue with God's grace but find ourselves still needing purification, then we will have purgatory as a fallback plan. Here's how the Catechism of the Catholic Church describes purgatory. Purgatory is the state of those who die in God's friendship, assured of their eternal salvation, but who still have need of purification to enter into the happiness of heaven. As you can see from this description, purgatory is for people who die in God's friendship, not for those who have recklessly pursued a life of sin. St Catherine of Siena, who was born in 1347, had conversations with God the Father in which the Lord revealed to her what hell was like. There are four main torments of hell. The first is that souls who go there are deprived of seeing God. Because our entire being is oriented to the beatific vision, in other words, seeing God face to face, this is a particularly devastating outcome for a soul. The second torment is ceaseless regret and agonising about what has been lost. The third is the opposite of the beatific vision, the experience of seeing the horrifying sight of the devil. And the fourth is the constant burning of an immaterial fire that has as many forms as the forms of sins that were committed. Why, you might ask, do we need to delve into this depressing subject? Mainly because... We need to know what's at stake if we don't pursue friendship with God. Heaven, on the other hand, will be the profound experience of complete satisfaction that we all long for in this life. Catherine describes what the Father told her. The good of these souls is beyond what your mind's eye can see, or your ear hear, or your tongue describe, or your heart imagine. What joy they have in seeing me who am all good. What joy they will yet have when their bodies are glorified. You will all be made like him in joy and gladness. Eye for eye, hand for hand. Your whole bodies will be made like the body of the word, my son. These souls wait for divine judgment with gladness, not fear. And the face of my Son will appear to them neither terrifying nor hateful, because they have finished their lives in charity, delighting in me and filled with goodwill towards their neighbours. What we do know about heaven is that its beauty, its joys and its pleasures are beyond our wildest imagination. We will find the ultimate fulfilment that we were created for. Catherine of Siena writes, Of those who reach heaven. They rejoice and exult, sharing each other's goodness with loving affection, besides that universal good which they all possess together. They rejoice and exult with the angels, and they find their places among the saints according to the different virtues in which they excelled in the world. And yet, it is only through God's mercy and love that anyone can hope to enter heaven. It is only because Jesus died for us to save us from the punishment due to us because of our sins that we have a chance of entering into heavenly bliss. But for those who have loved imperfectly in this life, those whose venial sins still cling to them, and those who are still broken and wounded by the world and need to be healed and purified, there is purgatory. Again, the words of Catherine of Siena. There are others who have passed through life and arrived at the end point of death with only a commonplace love, and were never very perfect. These embrace my mercy with the same light of faith and hope as those who were perfect. But these have this light imperfectly, and because they are imperfect, they reach out for mercy, considering my mercy greater than their own guilt." For all of us, our salvation depends on God's mercy. It depends on embracing the liberating good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus, giving our lives to him and out of gratitude striving to live a good life, a life of virtue, a life spent loving God and our neighbour as ourselves. As St James in chapter 2 of his letter says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. The way in which we can live lives that tend towards heaven and away from hell is by avoiding sin and doing good. It's as simple as that. We avoid sin by resisting temptation and removing from our lives the things that draw us into sin. We pursue virtue by loving God and our neighbour in practical ways and filling our lives with things that help us to follow a good way of life. Let's ask for God's grace to orient our lives towards our final destination in heaven so that one day we will be with our Lord and each other in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have created me to know you, to love you, and to serve you in this life, and to be happy with you forever in the next life. Give me the grace to resist sin and the lures of the world, the flesh, and the devil, to love those you have given me to love, and to practice virtue, so that at last I can enter into your heavenly kingdom and be with the saints in light for all eternity. Amen.
0: We finish this episode with a poem by Luke Hansen, The Bloom That I Could Not Conceive for Me.
3: Hi, my name's Luke Hansen. I'm a parishioner at Church of the Resurrection. This is a poem I wrote called The Bloom That I Could Not Conceive for Me. And uh, this is a reflection on... Um, how how amazing it can feel sometimes that the world will pass uh, like a seed in the earth. We don't know what we're becoming. We don't have any concept concept of of what uh, we might be growing into. But even in the world itself, you can see that things are are changing and ending. The bloom that I could not conceive for me. A seed in soil doesn't know the sky. It lives its day in blankets of the earth and doesn't know what it will find at birth. It doesn't know there's any reason why the warmth that feeds it cycles far and nigh. The seed is blind to notions of its worth or any reason it should leave its birth. It stretches toward the sun but knows not why. I have a seed inside my heart as well that trembles at the ending of the world and can't imagine such a thing could be. But still, the hues in shifting heavens tell the story of an end when all's unfurled. So, like the seed, I hope in time I'll see the bloom that I could not conceive
0: for me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line or give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelancing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at Corelancing.org. Thanks for listening and God bless.